Good people, welcome to another Monkey See Monkey Review podcast. If you've listened to the podcast before, welcome back. Come in, make yourself at home. If you're new to the MSMR podcast, well, you're very welcome. My name's Scott, and each time out, I'm joined by one or more of the members of the Monkey See family to talk about what we've been watching, including some of the recent releases, those things that are flying under the radar, and, of course, some all-time classics. On occasion, we also talk about uh, the ever-shifting landscape of film, uh, defend overlooked, maligned or underappreciated movies, as well as our regular pitch battles and our always-expanding Tracks of the Trade movie school playlist. Joining me this time out, and this is quite a special one actually, uh, because 12 months ago to the very day that we are recording this episode, I was dragged into the studio by a very nice young man uh, to record a pilot for a podcast that turned out to be the Monkey See Monkey Review podcast. That gentleman was Mr. Christopher Commander. Hello. Uh, hello, Chris. How are you? I'm very well. Oh, a Good. year later. I oh, know. If, if only we knew what was coming. I know, goodness, what a different world it was 12 months ago. <laughs> and if only we knew where we've been now, somebody probably would have stopped us. Oh, yes. <laughs> but uh, thank you for your support getting this up and running, and always lovely to talk to you. My pleasure, Mastermind. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Mm. In addition, we have the lovely Mr. Kevin Haney. Hello, Kev. Hello there, chaps. Sorry, happy birthday then for your <laughs> anniversary, that's nice. Thank you very much. Your introduction there. Sounded a little bit. It sounded a little bit partridge in a way. It's kind of like about a year ago, I was dragged into a studio. <laughs> you know me. <laughs> love, point there. love a bit of partridge. That <laughs> that that, po- that podcast was the stars at night. That didn't work. Instead, we're doing monkey see monkey review. <laughs> Needless to say, yeah. I had the last laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. So yeah, welcome. Uh, good to good to have you back, Kev. And. We have a fourth voice joining us today, and uh, down the other end of the phone line is a very good friend of both Kev's and myself. It's the wonderful Mr. Craig Woodfield. Craig, good afternoon, good evening, or good morning, whatever time you're listening to this. Good afternoon, how are we all? Very well, very well. Lovely to have you on board. Thank you for the invitation. So just to give you a bit of background, Craig, as I say, is a long-time friend of both myself and Kev and is as big a film nerd as uh, as the pair of us. So uh, it's lovely to have you on board and uh, we'll be very, very happy to hear your insights, mate. Thank you very much once again. uh, not that Craig's known Chris just as long; he just doesn't like him. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this this is actually the first time that we are we're bringing Craig and Chris together. It's uh, it's a it's a big moment. Oh. Dun, dun, dun. I'm a little intimidated, to be honest. Ah, <laughs> uh, don't be. We're, we're fine. As <laughs> we've already had one aborted attempt to start this podcast that was entirely my fault. You should know it's. <laughs> you should know by now not to be that intimidated. We sound professional, we're not. <laughs> so, gentlemen, how have you been? What have you been watching? What have you been catching up on? Well, I've, I mean, it's just funny how you say in the um, start of the podcast, you're kind of like things that fly under the radar. I think in this world of no actual cinema at yeah. the moment, a lot of things are in danger of flying under the radar. And not to go to Martin Scorsese about everything, where he says everything's pretty much been reduced to content yeah. lately. Um, it's sometimes quite hard when you get what would be a major release just kind of like appear and you're like, oh, there we go. Well, I guess I'm watching that tonight then. Whereas normally you'd have to plan to go to the cinema you'd be like oh yeah you know on friday i'm going to go and see 
I care a lot, for example. And then it just appears on Amazon and you can just watch it. It's weird, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Like? And that's a nice little hint dropped for one of the films we're going to be reviewing later. It's funny you should say about uh, yeah. you know, talking about films and being able to plan a night out at the cinema because literally just before we recorded this uh, podcast today, uh, some additional news was released that there are going to be some new stages to the unlocking of the national lockdown here in, in the UK and a couple of interesting dates, particularly for us cinephiles. Uh, so from the 12th of April, uh, they're hoping if everything goes according to plan, that uh, outdoor events, including drive-in cinemas, are going to be allowed again, which is great news. But I think the one that we're all kind of hanging on for and, and can't wait to, to be able to, to get back to is, again, all things being equal and all things being, you know, going according to plan. It's on the 17th of May that cinemas will reopen. So that ex- exciting time. Indeed. It's in my diary. Yes. It would have been about half a year they would have been closed, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's going to be it's going to be a strange sensation. I mean, it's going to have been over a year since I last set foot inside the cinema. By the time that rolls around, but I'm hoping Oof. with uh, with initial vaccinations and social distancing that I'll be able to finally make my way back. And I imagine, depending on what film it is, it could be quite an emotional time. So um, I'm my, looking forward my, to it. My first film back for after the first lockdown was Unhinged with Russell Crowe, which is pretty good, good fun. Yeah. The last film I saw before we went into the lockdown that we're currently in, um, well, I say currently in, since the cinema's closed, uh, was the 4K release of Akira. That was the last thing I saw. That was in nice. IMAX as well. So nice. it's quite a good one to go mm-hmm. out on. Yeah. yeah. That was good. I can imagine in 4K on an IMAX screen, that was quite the feast for the eyes. Yeah, but in relation to, like you said, about the things we've been watching recently, sorry to just go off on that detour. um, I've been going back watching a few classics as well as the new releases. I I revisited Sexy Beast recently, still great. Still intimidating, Ben Kingsley uh, and Ray Winston are absolutely brilliant. Um, I rewatched the original Beverly Hills Cop, which I think is one of Martin Brest's great films. uh, And Martin Brest, in my opinion, with the exception of was it whatever it was with with Gigli yeah yeah um Martin Best with Meet Joe Black Midnight Run and uh, Beverly Hills Cop is one of my favorite directors it's a shame that that film pretty much stalled his career and um I did see Grand Piano which was a uh, a thriller that I've been wanting to watch for a while was written by Damien Chazelle um and again takes place in a kind of musical environment very similar to you know the thriller that was uh, Whiplash so uh, those are my three little kind of non-new releases I watched this week and enjoyed them very much Fantastic. How about you, gentlemen? Have you been catching up on anything else? I have been more of a TV sort of catch-up. I was a little late to the party with WandaVision. Ah. I am a, I'm a sort of a smart, casual fan of um, Marvel rather than a, a huge fan. But I love, absolutely loving WandaVision and where it's it's going. Um, yeah, and I didn't feel like an outsider, you know, with lots of in-jokes or, you know, about the whole universe and I'm not smart enough to understand it and all those sort of things that I was worried about that I was going to get. Um, and then I also watched for the first time Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse oh, um, oh, yes. with, with my youngest Lovely. and it was an absolute treat. Oh, it's so uh, I mean, good. So it is, it's what it's absolutely wonderful. So yeah, yeah, really, really loved that. Brilliant. We made a whole sort of sort of home cinema set up, you know, for the um, and kind of tried to make a whole treat of it. 
because he's he's really lost out on the cinema kind of experience mm. in the as we all have you know so uh, so yeah it was a it was a great film to watch with him so yeah yeah we are a, a huge huge fan of into the spider verse on this podcast <laughs> and i think uh, yeah. I, I think it's almost a prerequisite for coming in and, and hosting because <laughs> you have to like you have to like into the spider verse so uh, no, i'm really really glad you enjoyed it chris have you been catching up on anything interesting recently um, that's a, a very good question. Uh, the only thing that, I mean, I've been watching Division 2, and it's been nice having a, as we talked about last time, it's been nice having a weekly kind of like, ooh, it's Friday kind of thing. But um, I also watched, well, I'm halfway through uh, The Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel, the Netflix documentary about a mysterious disappearance. Well, I should say, I shouldn't say disappearance, really. Some crazy uh, footage of a woman acting weird in a, in an elevator spurred the whole Cecil Hotel curiosity. Um, and I've been aware of that sort of... And presumably she disappears. Well, <laughs> yeah, well, she goes... Uh, I, I don't want to spoil any of it because it's a really fascinating case of you only get one viewpoint. You get inside the elevator and she's just acting very strange in this elevator. It looks like she's uh, being chased and she's checking and the elevator's doors don't close. It's a lovely sort of true crime, creepy sort of thing and i love that sort of stuff so um i'm making my way through it uh slowly because uh, i'm trying to in- enjoy it um and you sort of have to be in the, the right mindset sort of like you know um conversations with a killer ted bundy tapes you sort of have to <laughs> you sort of have to get yourself in the right mood but I, i've been watching that pretty much it really i mean i guess i guess it's good that i've been busy but uh i am missing out on a few things that have cropped up oh uh, the second second series of Discovery of Witches as well, I've been watching. Yeah, that's it. Fantastic. Well, down my end, I've finally started catching on a TV front on the uh, line of duty, which I'm taking it personally that nobody seems to have mentioned this program before and how good it is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was, uh, it, it's been great. I, <laughs> I had the... As if you've seen 24 uh, before, you will know that feeling of getting to the end of an episode and instantly wanting to to watch the next episode and having that, that cliffhanger that wants to carry you over to watch about three or four episodes in a night. Uh, I had that same kind of feeling with the first series of Line of Duty and managed to completely obliterate the first series in two nights and looking very much forward to, to carrying that on. I've been watching a few a few classics, uh, um, but also managed to pick up on Chris, one of your films of 2020, uh, Bill and Ted Face the Music. Hey. So I managed to check that out, and what a lovely time I had! Uh, it was yeah, so much fun and just really, really heartwarming and lifting. Such a great film. And Kev, I actually watched one of your films of 2020 as well, and uh, went back and watched Proxima and oh yes how did you find that again a a really really great film an amazing central performance and really fascinating as well because the 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 feeling of of sort of the the reality of the the training was really you know it was was really interesting to kind of get that level of detail of, of what they go through 
and yeah, it was it was great. I I, I thoroughly enjoyed it and uh, was glad when I saw that pop up on Netflix. So yeah, that was uh, that was a good weekend's worth of films. Oh, I, love it. I just want to say sorry, I, I didn't add to the the TV vibe, but obviously I've been watching One Division as well. But I just want to throw a shout out for Cobra Kai, right? I just finished watching season three of Cobra Kai that's on Netflix along with the other two. And I think as far as nostalgia goes, I think somehow they've managed to maybe accidentally stumble across the best way to do nostalgia shows. It isn't to reboot stuff or anything like that. It's literally to have a show where the main characters sit around and talk about the old days, right? <laughs> that's pretty much what Cobra Kai is. And they get everybody in, from literally from a guy who's like a waiter in a restaurant in the original Karate Kid. He'll <laughs> pop back in and you're like, oh, wow. It's literally like episode after episode of people saying, hey, you know what? I wonder what that guy looks like now. Well, here he is. <laughs> and then they come in and then they talk about the old times and then they put flashbacks in there and everything like that. So some people might you know, debate whether or not Cobra Kai is any good. I think as far as the nostalgia button goes, it's certainly is that it seems to have nailed the way to kind of get that going excellent i've started cobra kai it's it's a series that i need to devote a little bit more time to but at the moment i am just coming to the end of and i'm, I'm genuinely genuinely a little bit heartbroken that i am coming to the end of uh, parks and recreation uh, literally two episodes from the end of the final season of parks and recreation <laughs> and i've been absolutely loving it what a hilarious lovely lovely program it is uh and appropriately enough in the midst of you know, lockdown and not being able to get my hair cut i look a hell of a lot like jean ralphio at the moment i have <laughs> i have that much hair <laughs> and so we're gonna roll on with a few of the reviews of some of the newest stuff that we've been watching and we're gonna go back to the earliest release of all of these which is Rick Roman Wars 2020 Greenland, which landed on Amazon Prime a few weeks ago. Uh, this is a film that a few of us have watched, so we'll all be able to weigh in on it. Uh, but the, the synopsis is that there's a giant comet on its way to Earth, and uh, John Garrity and his family are called to go take their place in a shelter, and it's a snapshot into basically a ground-level view of the end of the world uh, so craig and kev i believe you've both seen this as well have indeed greenland yeah. essentially dismissed this when i saw the trailer which was probably nearly a year ago um you know and they didn't do themselves any favor by casting gerard butler in it and but well as, as far as appealing yeah. to me because i was like okay that looks like it's, it's 2012 all over again it's just another kind of like you know brainless cg effective you know all that kind of stuff and everything like that and i want to say this now i was wrong okay whatever your criticisms are of greenland um i was well i, I was pleasantly surprised by it. i was presently surprised why i think scott you said this to me actually when i, I think i when I text you after you said you were surprised of how emotive it was and i think that yeah, I certainly agree with that. I think the thing yeah. was was it was engaging and and to be Definitely. honest, the effects weren't you know they, they were where they needed to be, but it wasn't a feast for the eyes. And I think as much as it was a shame we didn't get an opportunity to see this in the cinema as we would have originally done. Um I think that there was a lot more to get from it than if you were to go back and revisit like your Independence Days or your 2012s or Day After Tomorrows or anything like that. I think the cast were great, the performances were great, and I think it made the right decision by focusing on practically a single set of characters as opposed to what is usually the case of let's see what the president's up to, let's see what this scientist is up to. It's almost like it didn't really matter what the actual disaster would have been or was. 
um it was just more a case of hey well let's tell you what let's put these people as all good dramas are in an exceptional situation that you could one day find yourself in and i think in this covid world at the moment i think we're very aware that actually you know what sometimes stuff that does happen on screen yeah. is likely to happen in real life and something like this maybe you know obviously it's kind of like a bit more spectacular um but um yeah. stuff like this could happen and i think there are things that you can see in this bearing in mind this was made pre-covid there are things in this that you're like, whoa, they got that bang on. So I was very happy with it. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I, I was in a similar situation to yourself in that I'd, I'd expected it to be a lot more mindless than it actually was. And I think in hindsight, I, I probably watched the film probably judging it, probably expecting to judge it harsher than it, it was actually needed. I think what you you also got in terms of the pedigree of the, of the people that were, were making it is that uh, Rick Roman War directed Angel Has Fallen with Gerard Butler and I'm not a massive fan of the, the Has Fallen films. I think uh, an end of the world disaster film with Gerard Butler is it's kind of got that Geostorm stank all over it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, Geostorm. I think I saw Geostorm quite recently yeah. in, in, in terms of like, you know, of lockdown and then going from that to this was would be i mean a hell of a double bill that would probably be like this is the way i would say this is the way to do it yeah absolutely as mr punch said absolutely i think it's not flawless uh, you know one of the things that i took from it was that there were some quite stock sort of drama things that you you were expecting are going to are going to come out so that there are marriage difficulties that you know the, the child has an illness and you know that's going to have an impact at some point there were moments that were quite predictable in that respect but i thought the way that it was done was was so so well done and so thoughtful and and like you say you know really emotive there were moments in it that genuinely sort of made you hold your breath and and actually focusing on quite a likable real group of people as well i think that really helped craig how did you find it i thoroughly enjoyed it from I came at it with, with the same view as you two did. I'm not a huge Gerard Butler fan of the, you know, the last sort of 10 years of his work. But and it, as soon as you start to mention, you know, the marriage troubles or the, the child that's got the issues and so on, you think, OK, this is a setup for exactly the same thing that I've seen time after time. And then when they take the drive out, uh, I won't give too much away, but they're, they're driving away, um, away from their community that drive that they take out of that cul-de-sac i was like this is so yeah. different to what i i was expecting like 15 minutes in i was like i i was caring about these people that i'd met maybe you know three minutes into the film and so on um and then there's a, a similar scene where gerald butler's in, in in that transport and you start to feel that the tension around everybody else around him and those two moments made me think i really care what happens um and in generally in those disaster movies i don't particularly care i know you know that 99 percent of the the population are going to get wiped out and so on but at that that moment i care about those people that are yeah. in that bus or on that coach and so on so it from that viewpoint as an emotive viewpoint like i really really enjoyed it i it, again it's not flawless the child actor in it uh roger dale floyd was was a little bit sickly to to my mind um but uh which is perhaps no fault of the the actor maybe maybe that's down to the the writing for him but um but everybody else yeah. and scott glenn i loved scott glenn in it as well playing scott glenn so oh, i always love it when he turns up <laughs> yeah absolutely 
So, um, so yeah, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyable. You know, it's it's two hours out of worrying about COVID, but worrying about another way that the world could come <laughs> to an end. I, I tell you what, I did find myself in this film. Whenever I'm watching films that, are just, especially films that are set kind of like pre-COVID, which is most of the films I've been watching recently, and I'm like, look at you, you've got no idea what's coming, all of that kind of stuff. I would put, I find myself putting in situations and going, would I rather be in this situation we're currently in as a world, or that situation? And it's that kind of thing where it's like, well, to be honest, this is the first time I've watched recently where I've been like, actually, you know what? I'd rather be in this situation. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think it's that kind of because that's a bit more. And it, and and you guys might know what I'm talking about because I don't want. I'm we never give anything away, spoilers and everything like that. There was a decision I thought they'd made in the film that if they had made that decision the other way, it would I would have given it an extra star. Ah. Okay. We shall talk more you know. about that off the air. <laughs> but just just in uh, in closing, just before we do go, I do want to give a, a, a little shout out to Marina Bakarin as well because as a Firefly Stroke Serenity fan, it's always good to see her popping up in anything. And I thought she again did a a great job in what could have been quite a, a, almost a thankless role as as Gerard Butler's wife in a disaster movie. But actually, yeah, she she had some great moments uh, of her own. I think making the decision to give her those moments on her own gave her the opportunity to really, really sell the desperation of the situation. I thought she did a great job and it was a large part of, you know, why why I was rooting for them to to try and survive. Um and again, you know, Gerard Butler I'm again not a fan unless he's anything that's not got the title How to Train Your Dragon, I'm not so much of a fan of. Um <laughs> But again, I thought he did. I thought he did a really, really strong job, and it, it shows what he can do. He can be quite a watchable actor. Just I, I find his choices. I don't. I don't always. I don't always warm to. Yeah, he's a presence. I just wish he, in a weird way, I wish his agent kind of like thought better of him. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So that's Greenland, which is available on Amazon Prime now. So moving on to another recent streaming release, and it's over onto Netflix, and it's the return of Mr. Paul Greengrass, which is always a, a welcome thing, uh, in News of the World, starring the wonderful Mr. Tom Hanks. It's a bit of a change of pace for uh, Mr. Greengrass with this one. Uh, so it's uh, the story is, revolves around Tom Hanks' character, who is travelling from city to city across Texas, reading the news. Uh, he picks up an orphaned girl on the way and resolves to reunite her with her family. And it's a really great piece of classy Western drama. Uh, so who around the table has seen this? I know I have. I have. Kevin has. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Craig... I have not. <laughs> <laughs> Craig, you, you saw about 45 minutes of this, I believe. <laughs> I, uh, 45 minutes and the... the, the... Two things that I took away from that 45 minutes was the score was incredible for that first 45 minutes. Thoroughly enjoyed yeah. the score. Um, and it was it was building lovely, uh, but Netflix uh, conspired to me, me not watching the rest of it. So just to reiterate, it wasn't your choice that you only watched 45 minutes of it. You were gripped up to the point that the streaming service let you down. That's it was, correct. It was a Netflix, yeah. Netflix scenario view, so... But yeah, that score is an absolute cracker. Uh, that's some, definitely something I took from it. And Chris, I know you're a bit of a Westerns fan, so I'm sure you're going to be listening intently. Oh, I'm so to excited! Our, yes, uh, listening intently to our opinions on this one. So, Kev, what were your feelings about News of the World? 
exactly what you were thinking in regards to Paul Greengrass. You see his name, especially after, obviously, the Captain Phillips um, relationship that he and Tom Hanks had had. Um, I was expecting something that was a little bit more kind of... I mean, to be fair, I mean, I was saying more brutal and fast-paced, but to be honest, I was never bored. I never thought that it dawdled. It it tells the story at an incredible pace, but like, and like Chris has mentioned before, like all good Westerns, it... Western, you know, they're slow, they're brooding, they're there to kind of like to make you think about things. Very similar to our other kind of like, you know, favourites when we talk about science fiction or maybe how that makes you think. Yeah. The Old West, when you think about it, is very much a very kind of like, you know, it's like over here, like the Victorian era over here kind of thing. But it's like mm. you, you look at it and you find that it's kind of like it's just that with guns and just how <laughs> reckless people were with guns yeah. and everything like that, which is it, it's weird, isn't it? Because you look at the Old West and the Wild West. And I remember actually thinking in my head while I was watching it, I was like, this is ridiculous. Everyone's just running around with guns. It's literally the Wild West. <laughs> and I thought that the um, uh, the way that it was set then, but a lot of the stuff, especially like the fake news narrative, which is obviously very kind of like, you know, that was purposeful, yeah. um, was, was very good, especially that one scene, which I think was a little bit on the nose, but was very satisfying. Yes. Um, I, I, I thought was uh, it was great how, you know, as all good cinema does really, it's kind of set in the past, but it's saying stuff about today. Definitely, definitely. I think and it was nice with, uh, as you sort of alluded to, with it being... Paul Greengrass, and you got that kind of usual kind of frenetic heart of the action camera work that you you really feel you know part of it and almost sort of buffeted by it a bit. It was a lot more sort of languid and the, the you know the beautiful vistas. There were two sequences particularly where he's way around kind of an, an action sequence you really play, paid dividends and really drove kind of the tension. One stemming from that fake news moment. Uh, that yeah, he, he's obviously got a real verve for that that the kind of action cinema, but the, found a new way of doing it which didn't feel as Captain Phillips, United ninety three, Bourne type shaky cam, <laughs> which it's it's the Paul Greengrass cliche, but uh, you know to levy that against him, but it was nice to feel kind of the the, the fixed camera and be able to see everything, and it, yeah, it was it was great. I think uh, two yeah. absolutely beautiful performances as well uh, i think tom hanks we know he's he's so dependable you get what you expect with tom hanks you know, whatever the film you know you're going to get you know a level of class but helena zengel who plays the joanna character uh, for a girl of 12 years old is just phenomenal um what she can communicate because in the film, it's not giving too much away that the, the, there's a language barrier between the two of them, and the emotion that she can convey with a look or with a second and third language throughout the film was was phenomenal. And I thought the two of them together were it, it was such a, a beautiful partnership. Yeah, I think that she was uh, you know a lot of people like whittle around a little bit like Craig mentioned just now when he's talking about Greenland and how the performance of the young lad in that was a bit great. And I think Helen Zengel was a kind of like. You know what they they throw around the word revelation quite you know willy nilly, but this is I think she's the best child actor I've seen in a debut role since I ironically in another western Haley Steinfeld in uh, True Grit. Yeah, who was absolutely phenomenal in that. It was it was such a mature performance 
uh, from Helena's angle, yeah. I thought, and almost a little bit kind of otherworldly that she she really didn't feel from that that Western civilization. She was she was something in, mm. entirely different, and it was beautiful. Yeah, I think that when you've got performances like this, stuff like that, you know, you don't not not a, a phone book to the throat inside. It was all yeah, great. absolutely. I mean, it, it ran the gamut of everything. It it was gripping, it was emotional, it was in, uncomfortable to watch at points, and it it was really kind of lovely and heartwarming as well and yeah it was yeah but just really interesting a bit like a film we're going to talk about in just a moment how the the role that tom hanks's character captain Gid, i think his name was the way he you know he's his job to go and read news from city to city that was just a weird i found that general i mean the film could have been about that only and i would have found it interesting absolutely it's just that little thing where you look at it and you go yeah that must have happened yeah how did they do that yeah well they could have newspapers but people couldn't read so what did they do they actually had someone go from state to state or city to city and read the news how bizarre absolutely he was he was like an early days trevor mcdonald he was yeah so yeah i news of the world i i think is it's just a really good piece of western drama and well worth a couple of hours of your time and it, it does it moves along at a really really lovely pace and absolutely well worth your time so kev we know you yeah. love yourself a little bit of the Cage, and... I do, I love a bit of Nicolas Cage, yeah. yes sir, I do. And, uh, I've got a question for you, is Cage back? Is Cage back, well everyone says this, the thing is with Cage, he's come and gone so many damn times in order to pay for his castles or whatever he owns, <laughs> <laughs> to keep the tax man away, his Nicolas octopus. Cage will pop up. <laughs> his octopus, yeah. Nicolas Cage pops up in anything, so we all know that the heyday of Nick Cage, your, your action trilogy of The Rock face-off and Con Air, and his Oscar-winning performance in Leaving Las Vegas, the, you know, before, Scott's matchstick men and all that they're, they're kind of gone now but every now and then he'll pop up in a film very similar to like Joe a few years back mm-hmm. do you remember Joe mm-hmm. and he'll pop up and everyone goes you know what Cage is back recently that happened with Mandy and I think Mandy was that kind of like psychedelic sort of film which kind of harnessed the uh, the, the general insaneness of Cage with a good director good and it kind of worked really well right and that's kind of what it is at the moment as much as i love nicholas cage and always have he's still my favorite actor because of the stuff past not so much the stuff present because to be <laughs> fair i can't keep up with the amount of films that he makes there seems to be a every time i go to tesco there's a new straight to dvd release he's popping up left right and center when it comes to film festivals with films that are released or not um but you can't knock the guy for taking interesting choices or making interesting choices. There's an interview, I think, of him just saying that if he's not working, he's nothing. And my yeah. goodness, he just does everything all the time. He's relentless. There was like three or four films last year, not to mention the Netflix series The History of Swearing, which I think kind of popped up as well. The thing is with Nick Cage is he's in on the joke, and that's why I like him. But yeah. also as well, there will be every third... To be honest, if he just released every fourth film... He'd probably be an actor still at the caliber that he was, as as far as like opinion goes. But what he does is he, he he'll be in lots of stuff. And I suppose if you throw a lot of stuff at the wall, then some of it will stick. And does this one stick? Well, that's what I'm going to talk to you about. So this is Willy's Wonderland, which got a cinematic release as well, stateside, as well as an uh, on-demand release uh, around the west of the world. Uh, in a nutshell, a quiet drifter, Nicolas Cage, is tricked into a janitorial job at the now-condemned Willy's Wonderland. The mundane tasks suddenly become an all-out fight for survival against a wave of demonic animatronics so there we go so essentially who knows what um oh what's it called chuck e cheese it's a very american idea do you know what you guys know what the chuck e cheese brand yes is? Yeah. yeah yeah 
yeah, Chuck E. Cheese, for those of you that don't know, is a kind of like a uh, a chain of, I don't think they're around anymore in America, kind of like I think 80s, they are. 90s, I think Chuck E. Cheese is still 90s. open. It's still around. Marvelous. Right. Yeah. Well, you go to Chuck E. Cheese. Generally, it's kind of like you go there for your kids day out um, and you'll sit down, have your burgers, your fries and your pizzas and your hot dogs and everything like that. And there are animatronics on stage that basically play a little bit of music. Uh, and that's all the fun. The idea with this one is, is there's an abandoned Willy's Wonderland, which is essentially Chuck E. Cheese. Nicolas Cage has to do his own version of From Dusk Till Dawn. <laughs> in this Willy's Wonderland um, while doing it all in complete silence because Nicolas Cage is a quiet drifter and he's made the decision to not say a word the entire film and that is one of those things where you think to yourself I wonder if that was the original idea or if Nicolas Cage thought you know what I'm going to shake this one up a bit I'm going to play this completely <laughs> silent I don't know because Kevin Lewis who directed it um, has obviously come in thinking you know what would be good in this we'll get Nick Cage in so does it work I would say Willy's Wonderland, if you've seen the trailer, or if you haven't seen the trailer, just from the synopsis I just gave you, you probably have a good idea as to what you're expecting. You're not expecting Oscar-winning Cage. You're expecting closer to Mandy Cage. But essentially, you're expecting... I, I, I am a little bit tired of, especially with like Colour of Space recently as well, you'll see these reviews that come out for the films, and they'll say, it's Nicolas Cage up to 11. Awesome cage action. Watch Nicolas Cage go crazy. And that's kind of what it is. And you think to yourself, I need more than that. So I would say with Willy's Wonderland, as far as Nick Cage going crazy, you've got that. But you've also got him doing something a little bit different, which is probably why this one has somehow managed to stand um, a little bit more aloof from his content recently. Now, is that to say it's good? I wouldn't say it's good. I would probably say it's exactly what you expect it to be. If you want to see a silent Nicolas Cage kicking the bottoms of demonic animatronics, then this is the film for you. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't want to see that, then move on, people. Move on. Don't worry. There'll be another two Nick Cage films coming out next week. <laughs> One of which, uh, just just as a little sidebar, is the fascinating-sounding The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, which is due very shortly, in which, in which Nick Cage is playing various versions of some of his most iconic roles uh, in an Was attempt... Sound... See... Sorry. Yeah, this, this, this sounds like, doesn't it? This sounds like one of the... This will be the one that if he was only doing that this year, then maybe he'd still be the Nicolas Cage that we used to know. But yeah. because he's going to do 20 films surrounding it. Which, you know, hell of a work ethic. Uh, yeah. And at least, unlike uh, the other the other A-list celebrity turning up in C-list straight-to-video films, Mr. Bruce Willis, Cage looks like he's actually yeah. enjoying himself. Like I said, man, he's in on the joke. Yeah. I mean, this film especially, going back to Willy's Wonderland, it, steers, it kind of veers away from scares and is more in the realm of fun bonkers. Yeah. Um, just animatronics. I love puppets and animatronics, and you know it's part fun. But I think it's the uh, you kind of get the idea, as was in the trailer, not to give anything away. There's a line in the film which is ultimate call, where it says, "They're not stuck. In, he's not stuck in here with them. They're stuck in here with him." Which kind of gives you an idea as to what's going on, which is brilliant because it kind of takes what you expect this film to be and gives it a little twist, but not enough for me to say I'd recommend paying for it. Maybe wait for this one to go to free streaming. Ah, it also has yeah. It also has that uh, for the gamers out there. It has sort of a Friday Night Freddy kind of feel to it. it felt like it was jumping on that bandwagon, but I have no idea oh, when yeah, that movie's yeah. gonna come out either. <laughs> I yeah, and I think I, t- I I I kind of watched it with that in mind as well. I mean, as far as like you know when to watch it as well. This is kind of like in an ideal world, we the four of us would have sat around and watched this with a few beers and pizzas and had good yes. fun. Yes. Oh, know? can we do that, that soon? Amazing. Well, we can't, but we should. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah. As soon as as soon as we're released back into the wild, I think a, a beer and yes. a, a monkey see monkey review movie marathon. <laughs> yes. Let's stream it. The, 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 the MSMR film festival. You heard it here first. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so right. where can you where can we find if I if I wanted to watch Nicolas Cage beat up a bunch of animatronics? Where can I find it? If you just go into your standard streaming, so if you've got a Fire Stick or anything like that, you can probably find it. You just find it kind of like on Prime on nice. demand. I think you can also find it on Curzon. I think it's on there as well. Prices do differ. I think on Curzon it was nine ninety nine, but on um, Prime it was five ninety nine. Okay. So do check your prices. I'd probably say five ninety nine is okay, really, to be honest. But uh, I mean, to be fair, if, if the fact that it was supposed to get a cinematic release anyway, a lot of my um, uh, like sort of local cinemas have got kind of streaming platforms and I'd probably say if you wanted to help independent cinema out a bit maybe stream it for one of them so for the fourth of our reviews this week we are moving back to Amazon Prime or Netflix if you're listening to us in the US hello to our US listeners hello we have Jay Blakerson's I Care A Lot stars Rosamund Pike Peter Dinklage Isaac Gonzalez and Diane Weist so just to give you just to get you up to speed with I Care A Lot uh, a court-appointed legal guardian uh, defrauds her older clients, then traps them under her care. But her latest mark comes with some unexpected bagage. Bagage. <laughs> <laughs> so, myself, Chris, and Kev, have you seen this as well? I have indeed, yes. I cared uh, very much. <laughs> I think the first thing to say about I Care A Lot is, is the one thing that's kind of astride the whole film, which is... Uh, Rosamund Pike's performance, who I think, it, you know, not I, I don't think it's unfair to make the comparisons to uh, Amy and Gone Girl, but there are. I certain, was just going to say that. Yeah, I was just going to say that. There are there are obvious comparisons because she's the, the very sort of self-composed, clear-thinking, mm. scary yeah. as well <laughs> individual. I, th- I, I think Rosam- I think Rosamund Pike's definitely cornered the market with that playing yeah. somewhat f- playing sort of like female characters yeah. that are kind of like slightly off. To the left of centre, yeah. you know, it's that kind of thing. There's always something a little bit, I, almost in danger sometimes. Well, when she is in films where she's playing a straight character, a little bit like if you cast, I'm trying to think of the same kind of thing. If you cast Brad Dourif in something, you kind of go, ah, you know what you're going to get. Something's going to go yeah. wrong. You know what I mean? Absolutely. But the good thing about this is right from the get go, you know that she's off kilter. Absolutely. And um, yeah. she's, she's, she's so on point. I think she's the character of Marlis. She's absolutely fearless. She is so smart, but completely unapologetic and completely unflappable about any of her, any of the moral grey areas or, you know, flat out black areas that she, she inhabits. Uh, and I think she's, you know, she's so watchable as a result of that because th- this character is, she's car crash awful, but you can't take your eyes off her. In oh, it's that, of, it's, it's, yeah. it's that intensity. She's Absolutely. so good at that. Yeah. And I mean, the cinematography sort of, highlight that in many of the close-up shots she's yeah. very good at those subtle eye movements mm. and gentle smirks that she does with yeah. the big blue eyes um talking about watchability the whole thing is unrelentingly watchable i don't know how else to put it like yeah. i was sucked in and every single performance is superb in that like yeah. every person i loved watching all of their scenes peter dinklage is always brilliant but people that i didn't even I wasn't even on my map, my radar of actors. I was like, I just enjoyed watching that scene. It's sort of one of those, I mean, that speaks to the script as well and the performances, but it just speaks to that sort of story that you just go, 
God, these these are the sort of movies like I want to be in. Like I found myself saying the lines over. Like, <laughs> like I'm like, how would I say that line? Yeah. Oh, oh, that's just yeah, fun I, to say. Yeah, I would say with it, I think I'm maybe a little bit less enthused about it than you guys, and that's not to say it's a bad film because I enjoyed it very much. I really liked it, and I was happy to go along with it. And I think very similar to what I said about News of the World just now is it started off with this kind of like information of like, look, this happens. This is a type of person. This legal guardian thing. There's a loophole in the you know mm. the the court system in the US which means this kind of thing can happen people can profit off people that don't have relatives that don't all of that kind of stuff and I found that really scary and yeah. as interesting as oh Tom Hanks travels from city to city <laughs> delivering the news and I was like this is good and I think it was up to a point where there's the exchange between Chris Messner uh, and Rosamund Pike when they're in the office where there's that initial kind of debate about you know uh, of the conflict of Diane Weiss's character going into the care home yeah. uh, that I thought this is brilliant I'm on point this is going to be a great film because I like this this is smart this is a... and then and I'm not saying to its fault it chooses to go off in a direction that I wasn't predicting and it wasn't the film I hoped it would be but it was a film I very much enjoyed yes oh that's nice I think it I think it it takes a turn into almost sort of black comedy in a weird way in the the route that it takes I mean really really pitch black vicious comedy I think the one thing that I found and I, I, I sort of attributed the kind of the car crash analogy the reason I sort of picked that is because these people were they, they were awful people doing awful things to each other and like Kev alluded to with with how scary this loophole is and how controlled she is I really found myself disliking many of the characters but at the same time you know, keeping that repulsion in check and just going this is this is so entertaining that they're managing to keep me on board despite the fact that actually the actions of these characters is just reprehensible uh, <laughs> yeah, you find you find yourself switching sides quite consistently because I was very much against it. Though the funny thing was, I watched this with my girlfriend, and there's the initial exchange between two characters with Macon Blair's character and Rosamund Pike's character right at the beginning of the film, where Macon Blair is absolutely horrible with what he says, yeah. but she has driven him to that to be that passionate about what's just happened. Yeah. And even though she has done the most horrible thing, my girlfriend turned to me and she went, "You know what?" I think I like her. And I was like, oh my God, wow. So the fact that maybe only Rosamund Pike could probably pull that off. Yeah. But yeah. I found myself switching loyalties because I sat there thinking, I can't wait for her to get her comeuppance. Yeah. And then a third of the way through the film, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, you know what? I might be with her, which was really odd. It's yeah. so tough. It's so tough because there's the, it's hard to come out of that film and go, there was one really good person in that. Like in terms of, in terms yeah. of moral goodness. It's hard to find any of the characters that really shown like, ah, I, you know, it's ironic that it's called I Care A Lot because so many of them don't. I understand that is the point of the, (laughs) I care about (laughs) certain aspects of things. Um, I thought, I thought some of the, pardon? Sorry, sorry, go on. I was was making another point. So finish your one. I was just going to say some of the things that I just enjoyed watching in terms of other aspects of filmmaking some of the set designs were really lovely and some of the little props in there were really nice she has a gold uh she has a gold skull on her desk which is quite telling which i really enjoyed just like some set designer went i have an idea i'm gonna put this here for a good like uh you know prop about telling what story does this tell about a character it's great yeah 
Yeah, I like that. And I like the fact that she's got her dot system, which is clearly obviously something important to her, but was never explained. Right. There's like two green dots and a red dot. She comes in, she takes off a green dot and puts a red dot on. And I'm like, oh, okay, I wonder what that means. And you never find out. Yeah. <laughs> and that's great. So it shows that there's obviously stuff going on. It's the show, but don't tell kind of mentality yeah. of things. Uh, the point I was going to make a little while ago is, do you remember that film years ago, um, Payback? Um, the one with uh, Mel Gibson? Yes. And it was that whole kind of like pitch, wasn't it? It was like, be prepared to root for the bad guy. And the whole way through the film, you're uh, through payback, you're going, oh, yeah, well, I'm clearly on Mel Gibson's side because he's Mel Gibson, because he's that, yeah, that, you know. And even though the film was marketed on this, everybody's horrible and reprehensible, but you'll find yourself siding with someone that's actually quite evil. Um, I think this film doesn't do that. This film kind of goes, look, these are horrible, and it doesn't make it doesn't make you warm to them. No. But you do, you do, despite yourself. And I think that's what's clever about it is it's not marketed on that. And to be fair, when I started watching it, I, I, because I had no direction of where it was going to go, um, I thought it was going to be like, oh, maybe this will be some kind of like courtroom drama or something like that. But before you know it, you're in this kind of mess with them, and you are literally going, I don't know how this is going to resolve. No, and it was it was really smart in that in that way that it just was unpredictable in the direction that it went i think just i for me the only character that i found sympathetic in there was was diane waste's character that oh, <laughs> and no, how good know. was something, she something dark about her say again sorry chris was saying how good how good was she yeah. but i was saying with diane waste it's kind of i think because of her kind of like again casting her i think was very really smart because she's got this vulnerability about yeah. her but then there was a point in it when she said when she was obviously when she was kind of like drugged up and everything and she was speaking oh i love that like, scene know, yeah yeah that that where i think she's you look at her and you go actually you know what there's something quite scary about her to the point where i was like i don't know who the mastermind is I love, yeah. I love it i love it i love it i love it i think i think like this yes it's it does it does teeter on dark comedy but i got halfway through it and i just went i've just realized this is a really clever heist film, in a way, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I just, I like, I liked it. I cared yeah. a lot about it. And I just, uh, <laughs> just one other thing on Diane Weiss' character in that scene that you referenced there, Chris. Obviously, we can't say it here because no. it's a family podcast. But she does come out with one of the best curse insults <laughs> I think I've ever heard, particularly from a, a very classy actress like Diane Weiss. Yes, it was just dropped with with perfection, and I was mildly horrified and enjoyed it as a, lot. a as an actress. I wonder if you relished that line because oh. you know sometimes you get lines in scripts and you just sort of go, "Oh God, I've got to say that," but sometimes you just go, "I get to say that." Yeah. And it's yeah, it was it was good fun. So yeah, I, I it's most definitely not an easy watch, uh, not a likable watch, but ridiculously entertaining one for <laughs> for various reasons. So check it out on Amazon Prime now. And so we're going to come to the final one of our films today, and it's one that just me I've seen all on my own. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to talk to you a little bit about a film called Mogul Mowgli. Uh, it's the directorial debut of Bassam Tariq and stars Riz Ahmed, who wrote, actually wrote the screenplay for the film with Bassam Tariq. Uh, it debuted at the London Film Festival last year. And the story uh, revolves around Zed, who is a Pakistani rapper living in New York, who comes home prior to a to London prior to a European tour and to reconnect with his family. But while at home, he discovers he has a serious autoimmune disease that throws his life and his whole future into some doubt 
and it, it's 90 minutes so it, it doesn't mess about at all it really sort of draws you in and captures you and is anchored by this fantastic performance by Riz Ahmed who is great I went back just as a little sidebar went and rewatched Nightcrawler the other week which is a, a fantastic film oh, and Nightcrawler I is a great film I forgot he was in it and it, what a treat you know to see him turn up again he's and he's so good uh, one thing I didn't realize about him prior to, to watching the film is that he he's actually a rapper as well as an actor and they fully pull on those his skills there and the, the scenes where he's on stage completely unaccompanied uh, just you know him and the crowd uh, freestyling uh, it was so good and he's you know so crisp and really absorbing but then you, you go from this character that that's really kind of he's on the cusp of being you know of, of greatness to see him being pulled down back to earth back to his roots that he's he's sort of moved away from and it's really sharply written there's some great dialogue in there it's it's really amusing at points but it's also really really heartbreaking and uh, you know, really sad watching him trying to to reconcile what's going on in his life at the moment with his passion and his ambition it's the one thing that he really wants to do and it's it's such a great performance i think as a as a first time director as well i think Tariq does does great work a lot of the film because that there are moments where the zed character is is in and out of consciousness due to sort of operations and drugs and stuff so it goes through a lot of moments where you're not sure whether we're in a dream sequence or not and it it goes quite almost surreal at points but it's it's kind of drawing on his pakistani heritage and it's it's all presented you know in a really interesting way uh, so yeah it's just come up on the the bfi player which is available uh, if you've got an amazon fire stick so you know if you wanted to get yourself a a, a seven day free trial as i say it's 90 minutes and it's a really interesting debut and you know a real showcase for for a great british actor and it's also really interesting because yeah, he's he's a musician with uh you know with health issues in this one. Within a couple of months, there's the the really really highly regarded Sound of Metal, which is due to be coming out, which again stars Riz Ahmed, uh, this time as a as a heavy metal drummer who begins to lose his hearing, and he's been getting amazing sort of word of mouth. So. In a couple of oh, months. That's right. Yeah. So in a couple of months. Yeah, I've when heard that's... backstage stories about it, which sound quite interesting yeah so i uh so yeah i'm looking forward to when that puts an appearance on streaming and i'll be back here to to report back on that because it'd be nice to kind of compare and contrast the two the mm. the two sort of riz ahmed musician films within the first uh first half of 2021 <laughs> so yeah I, I i would recommend it it's uh it's not an easy watch but it's a really really interesting and absorbing watch uh and as i say it, it it's a great performance and a potentially a potential calling card for a, a great new directing talent as well. So if you listened to the podcast last time, you will hear us referring to Star from Disney+. Plus. Now when this podcast is released, uh, Star will be out in the world and it is Disney Plus's more grown-up arm of the, the streaming service. What it's uh, basically entailing is everything from its touchstone arms and from its acquisition of 20th Century Fox, and a lot of films that are in that sort of 12, 15, 18, more adult range. 
uh, that's, that's going to be films and a hell of a lot of TV. So a drop of about 270 films. So what we've done between the four of us is we've had a little bit of a sift through the, the absolutely massive list of films and we're going to try and pick out a few of our choice little hidden gems from within there. Interestingly, before we get started on those, some of the things that are missing from there, particularly with the, the, the Fox merger, is the fact that there are franchises like the Alien films that aren't showing up on there as yet and won't be for a little while. We are getting Die Hard, which is always worth a worth a revisit. Well, we're not ironically we're we're not getting Die Hard 1. We're getting 2, 3 and um uh we yeah, we're getting the last the, the back four. <laughs> we're not getting no. the original Die Hard. Okay. Yeah. Which is odd because I think for the same same as the alien reasons, I think there's still licensing up with that um because I think Sky still yes. owns a lot of those. So we're getting the kind of like the sort of like the back end, which is quite odd that one there because initially when they pitched it, they pitched it with Die Hard, uh, and not with the others, and then they switched and they've said that. So I don't know if it was a typo initially they said Die Hard and they were going to say Die Hard series yeah. or something like that. But yeah, I was looking through that because I thought, well, oh. because I thought Die Hard would probably because I was actually looking initially to try and see how many 18 rated films yeah. they have on there, whereas a majority of their films fall into the 15 category, which is good. So it's still slightly better than your Disney Plus, but there's still nothing on there that's too st- unless Vi was. With Kathleen Turner was an eighteen. I can't remember if it was. Does anyone? I remember, remember that the one? film. I don't remember the certificate, unfortunately. I've, I've got that listed down because I've never seen the film, and it's. I have a, a quite an odd brain, and films take me back to certain places, and that that takes me back to the video shop and seeing the poster. So that's one that I definitely, definitely want to see based upon the poster, and I've never seen the film. Excellent. Exactly, exactly the same as me. I've got the poster in my head where you've got Kathleen Turner standing in front of a V and an I. That's it. With it. a gun in her hand. And I remember thinking, as soon as I saw that, I was like, I'm going to watch that because I never saw that when I was little, but I always remember picking up the video cover. <laughs> yep, absolutely the same. Although on the, the slightly harder edge of the of the films, they are... Uh, launching with Starship Troopers. Yeah, that's good. I, I, I've actually, I mean, this is how excited I am. I have a weekly uh, movie club where I watch a film with friends and we kind of WhatsApp each other while we're watching the movies. And uh, as the moment Starship Troopers was announced on uh, uh, Disney Plus Star, uh, we were like, okay, well, next week we'll watch Starship Troopers. So that will actually probably be the first film Excellent. I watch. Excellent. And uh, yeah, what a, what a cracking film it is. I, it's one I need to revisit soon. It was uh, a quite a formative film back in the late 90s and. Uh, yeah, can't wait to to check it out. See how it's uh, see how it's aged. I can imagine yeah. the special effects are probably because I remember at the time how phenomenal they were. I can imagine they probably hold up fairly well. I think with the tone as well. I think it's probably more poignant today than it ever was. So, I yeah, think you're probably fun. right. Yeah, yeah. Star Trek Troopers is definitely a a recommendation. One on the slightly sort of softer edge that I would I'm really looking forward to recommending people check out is uh, a small comedy from a few years ago uh, called The Way Way Back and yeah. uh, starring uh, it's got great acting talent in there so Steve Carell playing really against type that he's he's a real nasty piece of work in this in this <laughs> well, he's but... a re- really awful awful character Tony Collette who is always fantastic and another another fellow that we've we've referenced a few times as being a big fan on the, the show and probably one of my favorite of his performances uh, Sam Rockwell yes he's just so good uh, it's it's set in this this seaside resort uh, during the summer and this young lad goes 
on vacation with his family there with his overbearing stepfather, played by Steve Carell and his mum, and uh, basically falls in with the, the, the group of people at the local water park, including Sam Rockwell's character and it's just it's it's such a it's such a lovely film in places it's quite a hard film in places as well but i yeah I'm a, I'm a huge fan of it most definitely because of sam rockwell's performance in it but yeah it's it it's one that i i feel sort of flew under the radar a bit i think it's one that i think people really need to check out mm. yeah certainly cult status some of the more harder edge ones as well you got quills with jeffrey rush and kate winsley that was quite sexually explicit i remember that being that was an 18 ravenous yeah. the wonderful film underrated with guy pierce and um Robert Carlyle uh, and Robert mm-hmm. Carlyle, yeah, with brilliant with with an amazing score by Damon Albarn, I think that there as well. You got yeah. Ruby Sparks, Rushmore, which is probably my favourite. Oh, that's um, on my list. <laughs> yeah, and you got there as well. You do have a few duds. Well, I say a few duds. You got a few there, like Spy Hard, <laughs> which uh, <laughs> yeah. I remember seeing Spy Hard on a hundred years of cinema. I remember. Do you have a hundred years of cinema? And they <laughs> did National Cinema Day, one pound a ticket. Yeah. I went to see, yeah, and obviously Stakeout and another Stakeout, which are great films if you've not seen them recently. They're still good fun. Terminal oh. Velocity as well, if you like a bit of your Christian Slater. Trapped in Paradise, which I am very excited about because I've not been able to find that for a long time that's with john lovitz dana carvey and nicholas cage where they get trapped yes. uh, in a town where they're bank robbers they rob a bank and then get, end up getting taken in by the family when they get snowed into the town uh the family that they robbed which is really good and be great we've also got the war of the roses jewel of the nile if you like your michael douglas white men can't jump if you like your swearing <laughs> and <laughs> And Working Girl as well, which I, I haven't seen in years, and probably for the same reasons as V.I. Wachowski I'll be uh, revisiting. Do you think when they, they added Spy Hard, that was a typo and it wasn't actually meant to be Die Hard? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can you imagine sitting down to watch Die Hard and Spy Hard coming on? Dear, oh dear. I was also pleased to keep on the Wes Anderson theme. I, I, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing Rushmore again, but I was really excited to see The Life Aquatic with Steve Sisu on there. Uh, that's that's one of my favourite Wes Andersons. I just I I just think it's a lovely film. Craig and I saw that together, didn't we, Craig? We certainly did. That's also on my <laughs> list as well. Like the, all the Wes Anderson ones, to be honest. But yeah, Life Aquatic, which I've not watched since seeing it at the cinema, and I've probably since then been looking for the trainers that Steve Zissou wears, um, <laughs> and to to no avail. So if any listeners out there know where I can get those trainers, uh, just hit me up. That'd be great. Also, nice. another one on the harder edge. You obviously got the Coen Brothers Miller's Crossing, which is brilliant. Uh, but yeah. Metro, and I, I would say an underrated Eddie Murphy comedy. I say comedy, action comedy. Um, I've forgotten his name. Who was the villain in Metro? He was in Strange Days, and he was the villain in The Crow. And I can't believe I've forgotten his Michael name. Oh, Michael, my, yeah, Michael Wincott. Yeah, yeah Michael yeah. Wincott. There we go. That was it because we had a conversation about Michael Wincott where, where someone referred to him as Michael Winslow. <laughs> yeah, obviously from the Police Academy movies, making his sounds. He obviously wasn't the villain in The Crow, but it would have been a very different film if it were. <laughs> the things that I'm looking forward to just to kind of jump in, Arachnophobia, I've not seen oh, since yes. I was a, a young lad. I had the soundtrack yeah, to it, which I loved uh, and had... Um, on tape and played and played and played. Uh, was that a track... score? Was it a score? Yes, yeah, it was, was it... a score. Oh right. Uh, and there was there was two song original songs on there, but there was a, a track called "Bugs Be Gone," uh, which I absolutely loved. Um, Cocktail is on there, which is oh. you know has the one of the greatest taglines for a movie ever. Um, yeah. Ed Wood <laughs> as well, which is something I I've really really wanted to revisit for a long time. So I'm looking forward to that. And thank you for smoking. Uh, the Jason Reitman film. Um, mm, brilliant. So yeah, whether they, I think 
this list is yes i recommend them to people but also it's because i really really want to go back and watch them so absolutely oh, certainly. You, i can't believe you said cocktail and you said it had the best tagline ever but you didn't say what the tagline was i i assumed people would know what it was so oh, that never little, assume mate the little pause that i left was for people to say when he pours he reigns <laughs> yes <laughs> it's so Brilliant. good um, so good. I'll list um, off. I'll list off mine, and then and then then I'll shut up. Um, <laughs> the so also because we have some TV shows hitting as well. Um, I'm always going to go back and, and rewatch Firefly if I can. Uh, always. Um, uh, movie wise, Rushmore's on there, um, but I also I love the movie Stoker. That's a great film. Uh, if you haven't yeah. watched Stoker, uh-huh. two, 2013 psychological thriller yes um mm-hmm. so good produced by ridley scott it's just great i love that film um and then kind of one that this too this comes with a uh, a recommendation on top of this um a film from 2012 called hitchcock which uh has anthony hopkins playing alfred hitchcock yeah. and it, it, it's good it is really good it's funny because they came out around the same time and i can't tell which one i prefer more there's hitchcock from 2012 and also the girl from 2012 um which stars toby jones as hitchcock and i enjoy them both uh for for different reasons um but both about alfred hitchcock and both very good so those are my those are mine i would say can i just put another shout out as well for martha um martha marcy may marlene which is um elizabeth olsen's kind of it was the first time i saw her in a um a mainstream film it is T- a tough watch with John Hawkes in it as well, um, but it is well worth it if you're uh, looking forward to, uh, or if, if you're enjoying Elizabeth Olsen at the moment. It's great to see some of her back catalogue. Nice. I think for me, uh, as well as the way way back, there's one that I know Kevin Craig will join me on. Is the, the Gross Point Blank's going to be on there? Oh, brilliant! Oh, no. Probably be the first time I've seen it in HD. <laughs> I'd wager. <laughs> uh, I, I love that film. Yeah. <laughs> And, and and high fidelity yes of course a bit oh, of a yes. john, yeah, john yeah. cusack double bill so looking Great, forward yeah. to both of those and uh, as craig said I'm, I'm looking forward to to arachnophobia as well and uh making my arachnophobic daughter watch it <laughs> <laughs> scares me I, I still can't bring myself to watch it again i watched it once and i haven't watched it since it scares me not just <laughs> not just because it's got julian sands in it but a great performance <laughs> <laughs> but a great performance from john goodman though as well oh yeah, yeah so, so so good. But I mean, we could we could probably carry on and recommend. Oh, another, there are so many. So ten, fifteen more films. It's two hundred and seventy. That's part of the joy of discovering these things is is go forth and find them find them out for yourselves. Mm-hmm. And so we come to one of our regular features. It's time for another pitch, pitch battle. battle. Nice. <laughs> Craig, I have to say, I thought you did rather well joining them without considering it's your first time. <laughs> Thank you very much. It looks a mess on my uh... <laughs> on the wave oh, yeah. thing, yes. on the wave thing there, but you know, I, I gave it a good shot. You did indeed. <laughs> you did indeed. So, for those of you that have not listened to a Monkey See Monkey Review podcast before, Pitch Battle is our regular feature in which we, as a team, we have five minutes to come up with a pitch based on an actor an object, and a genre. 
and then we present our pitches to each other and you, our listeners, and we uh, we have a laugh about it. And then if you feel the need to chime off on social media about whose you thought was best, by all means, you do that. So this time out, our contribution has been given us to given to us by the lovely Johnny Moyer. Uh, he has given us as our actor. Are you ready, gentlemen? Yes. Tim yes. Allen. Tim Allen. Okay. Tim Allen, right? Our object is a magical Coke can. Okay. Other brand colas are available. (laughs) And our genre is war. A war film, okay. A war film. (laughs) And as always, we have five minutes on the clock to prepare our pitches. But for you, dear listeners, we'll be back. Okay, gentlemen, time is up, pens down. How did we all do? Oh my god, that was a tough one. I think I kind of, I, I, I think I was t- <laughs> in recent pitch battles. I've just basically been like, okay, but well, this would be a good kind of coherent movie. Now I've just got a jumble that I'm going to kind of riff on. Who, who <laughs> gave this words. to us? Uh, this is a, a friend of mine called Johnny. Johnny, how Johnny. dare you? What have you done to us? Scott, I'm not a technical whiz, but how difficult would it be to go back over the podcast and take me out completely? <laughs> Because I just don't want to do this. <laughs> and I, I, I never want to meet the man that gave us these three things either. Um, I'm sure I'll be delighted to, delighted to hear that. I, I literally had no words until about two minutes left on the clock. And I've mashed something together. I don't, I don't know how. Uh, do, do you think we should put Craig out of his misery and let the new boy go first? Yeah, go for yes. it. Yes. I, I don't think that's a kind thing to do at all. <laughs> Great, look at this way. Lamb. By the time by the time us three have done ours, nobody will remember what you said. <laughs> oh, I'm it's not okay. I'm percent sure that's true. <laughs> oh, they'll focus on me, it's fine. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm sure it'll be fantastic. Craig, in your best movie trailer voice, give it to us. Some never leave the war. Some come home changed. Some have the war replayed again and again. But for James Avon, he wants back in. Using the enchanted magical Coke can, James takes us to that time he thrives in. Battle. This March, Tim Allen wants us back in. Join him. The Coke can war. (laughs) You know what, mate? I That's thought that was good. a That's pretty that good. was a yeah, right. fine, fine, fine first effort. I was, well done, I was I'm visualizing it. Here. I wish I hadn't done that. <laughs> <laughs> I was invested in it. <laughs> so, well done, mate. That was a good one. Thank, thank, thank you. <laughs> okay, who would like to go next? Can I put myself out of my yes. misery, please? You can, of course. <laughs> okay, here we go. Right, envisage a hospital and a caption at the bottom of the screen that says Saigon 1965 oh no Francis Ford Coppola returns to the war genre that defined him to direct an actor that's going to define him from now on Rolling Stone called it a revelation Variety said I couldn't believe my eyes he he was a nam he he keeps calling out for his mother no 
His sanity? No. God himself? No. His magical coke can? I am a magical coke can. <laughs> Tim Allen is. <laughs> there we go. So I kind of lost it at the end there. Oh, that brilliant. was Tim Allen there in a hospital bed calling out for his magical coke can. And the film, um, a little bit like Pie and films with like weird titles and stuff like that, is simply called. If <laughs> <laughs> you can imagine Tim Allen, <laughs> Tim Allen with uh, yeah in a hospital bed there, dramatic stuff. It's going to define him. So I'm going to pitch that. <laughs> do it <laughs> brilliant Chris me or thee mate oh I I guess I should otherwise okay. uh, I don't want no I don't want to be the the one that <laughs> yours is going to be better than mine that's my point that's what I'd say okay no, I, I doubt it <laughs> <clears throat> well since mine doesn't have a finishing sentence I'm going to have to make it up on the fly I can just see my little cursor going flash flash not finished <laughs> Not finished. <laughs> okay. Improvise, darling. <clears throat> and scene. Um, <clears throat> the year is 3156. General Dark Month is preparing for a fight against the dreaded Warhog fleet. Sworn enemies. They fight on the battle of the planet Thirst. The general's armies have been fighting. They've been seeking a wizard to solve their problems. But in return for eternal unthirst, a magical coke can, the wizard wants peace. Tim Allen in War. Water is it good for? (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. You guys get it, man. You guys always get the funny titles. I never get the funny titles. That's fine, because your actual pictures are good. So. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go, in, go in with mine now. Okay. <clears throat> in the year 2500, stimulants like sugar and caffeine have been all but eliminated. All that remains is one self-replenishing can of cola and two great nations square off in a battle for control of the can. It's Guardian... Is a lone hero from outer space coming this fall. Tim Allen is caffeine buzz. <laughs> it's like it's like if the old it's like if the old man from uh, Indiana Jones <laughs> was <laughs> keeping his eye on an eternal <laughs> magical Coke can. Oh, that was good. That was good. I'm sweating, Wildly. but it was good. <laughs> Excellent. Well done. And uh, you know, I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna call that a four way draw because that was that was some magnificent work with Johnny, a Johnny, you've bloody, us. Yeah, bloody difficult one, Johnny, you rotter. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fantastic. So we're going to roll swiftly on to our final feature, and it's our other of our two regular features. It's time for our tracks of the trade. Now, for those of you that haven't listened to Monkey See Monkey Review before, uh, tracks of the trade is our steadily growing list of movie score music. It's things that we like, and on occasions we throw it open to you, the listeners, to give us your suggestions. And we're trying to grow the biggest list of fantastic movie score music that we possibly can. There will be links for the playlist on the show notes, and I'll also post it on our Instagram and Twitter. 
so you can access the playlist there. Gentlemen, we're going to go in reverse order, so this time out, I think I'm going to go first, and uh, then, then you guys can all follow me. So I am going to take you back all the way to 1968, I'm taking you back to a bit of classic, cool Steve McQueen action. Uh, with the fantastic thriller. If you've not had a chance to check it out, Bullet. Steve McQueen is probably the epitome of the word cool. And the soundtrack, done by Lelo Schifrin, is just as cool. Uh, so I'm picking the main title theme from the film Bullet because it's just a bit of groovy 60s style, bit of funk for you. And it's something a bit different to what we've been used to on the playlist. So I, 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 you know, I'm a big fan of the film. There's a great, great, car chase sort of towards the end of the film with his amazing Ford Mustang which is you know it's just one of the most beautiful cars ever yeah. it was a piece of car chase cinema way way ahead of its time and yeah the whole film is just a great bit of you know 60s cop cool probably our oldest piece of music that have come on the playlist so yeah we look forward Absolutely. to listening to that Lalo yeah. Shriven of Mission Impossible fame isn't he indeed yes he composed that and he composed yeah most notably Mission Impossible and Rush Hour <laughs> the score to that as well. <laughs> there you go <laughs> the hits just keep on coming for him <laughs> yes, they do absolutely Christopher what's your track of the trade my track of the trade is from the 2011 French comedy drama film The Artiste uh, uh-huh. yeah I and I want to go back and re-watch it after re-listening to the score um, Ludovic Bors was the composer of, of the score I should say, not necessarily a soundtrack, but the score of this film. Um, And it is track seven, and it's called Waltz for Pepe. Uh, And if you haven't watched the film, it's a gorgeous film. And I I think I only watched it a couple times when it came out, and I fell in love with it. And I'm going to rewatch it because I remember liking it so much. Also, a dog actor. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So he was, yeah, he was a revelation, wasn't he, when he came, mm. uh, when he came he out? He was. Every, everyone loved the dog. <laughs> Kevin, what is your track of the trade this week? Well, I'm looking for a Harold Faltermeyer score. Recently, after, as I mentioned at the start of the podcast, we were talking about Beverly Hills Cop, and I love a bit of Harold Faltermeyer. Now, he's not been around recently. He, I think the last one of the last scores he did, uh, he came back to do Cop Out for Kevin Smith when uh, the, the Tracy Morgan, Bruce Willis kind of like 80s cop throwback thing. Um, and it was uh, a better score than it was a movie. He's also done films like Cuffs and stuff like that. Um, but obviously, back in the 80s, he was the go-to guy, you know, with his kind of like European sort of like synthesizer beats and everything like that. Uh, and obviously, one of his most famous scores was the score to Top Gun. Now, Top Gun as a score has never been released in its entirety outside of bootlegs that you can probably find online. Um, but what they did do a few years ago, back when they released uh, a special edition dvd which i think was for at the time the 20th anniversary um with a great documentary called danger zone which i think i've spoken to you guys about uh, recently danger they released zone. a yeah there's an amazing <laughs> documentary which is up there with uh, dangerous days in my opinion as one of the great film documentaries um they released a special edition uh, release of the soundtrack and the soundtrack was obviously one of those soundtracks that a lot of people used to have in their a bit like train spotting and a bit like pulp fiction it's one of those soundtracks that made its way to the mainstream charts you know um and when they released a special edition not only did you get theme from top gun which was the only piece of score that was allowed on the original cd you got a track called memories which memories a wonderful piece of the film as you could probably remember what happens to goose and all of that kind of stuff no spoilers here um but uh, very <laughs> contemplative um but you've got um a lovely piece of harold faltermeyer not being funky not being kind of like you know hey look how cool <laughs> i am or anything like that it's not a sassy cop 
you know um, like Axel F kind of like theme it's more a kind of like let's sit back let's listen let's kind of like reflect as to the damage that's been done in the movie what egos and bruised egos and all of that kind of stuff and I'd probably say that Memories is probably one of if not the best track from the, the great Top Gun score um, and hopefully should be on Spotify and I think it is I think Scott uh, looked at it earlier I so, do um, yeah so uh, until that complete expanded Top Gun score comes out I'm going to have to make do with those two tracks theme from Top Gun and uh, Memories so Memories is my uh, is my selection this week Fantastic and finally Craig it's your first show what's your first track of the trade to add to the list Right so I've gone with uh, it's from The Truman Show which is a film oh. that has a, a real place in my heart uh, because of the people that I went to see it with um, and the time of my life that I went to see it with. But the whole build-up to the Truman Show film, the poster, which was the first one that I recall, was made up of lots of small images and fed in perfectly to what the film was going to be about. But then also, like, socially, those those posters became popular everywhere and, you know... Um, adverts that you were using that sort of style of image but the whole build-up to the Truman Show was was huge for me um and it's a track called it's a uh, it's a life uh by Burkhard Dolwitz and he's not really done too many other scores that I can see he's a um prolific uh composer but not t- too many for um movies and he worked with Philip Glass on this and it's a short track it's one and a half minutes um but it's just so beautiful uh, and I can listen to it at any time and it just takes me back to watching that film and how special that film is and it's a film that I don't need to watch all the time and in fact probably wouldn't want to watch all the time but the moment I put the Truman Show on I give it my absolute undivided attention and it takes me back to 1998 um and watching it with some rather wonderful people and some some not wonderful people that i moved away from so so yeah so it it's a life oh is that why i don't see you over very often (laughs) i thought the best way to say it would be at the end of the podcast (laughs) that's brilliant thank you for that craig no thank you thank you and so we draw towards the end of another Monkey See, Monkey Review podcast. And so it's the time of the show again, where it's time to ask you to do a few things for us. We are absolutely loving doing this. Uh, I think uh, you know, this is our, as I say, it's, it's one year ago to the day that we recorded it. And I really feel like in the last couple of months, the, the podcast is really finding its feet. So thank you to those of you that have listened from the beginning or those of you that have picked up from you know from from either the last episode or three episodes ago wherever you discovered us uh but if you can do us a favor and recommend it to any film loving friends that you may have that would be that would be wonderful uh in addition if you aren't yet doing so if you could follow some of our social media what i'm going to do is on the episode notes so when you download the podcast there will be links for our twitter which is at msmrpod there will be a search term for our Instagram, which is Monkey See Monkey Review. There will be our email address, which is msmrpod at gmail.com. And there's also our Facebook group, which I'm just starting to bring slowly back to life with some more written reviews. And that is if you go onto the Monkey See Monkey Review, if you search Monkey See Monkey Review on Facebook, and you will find the group there. If you request to join and tell us how you found out about the group, that would be fantastic. Uh, also, 
if your podcast place where you get your podcast from give you the option to leave us a review please 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 if you could leave us a positive review or just leave us some feedback we'd love to hear what you're thinking of the the podcast and positive reviews particularly five star reviews also help you know make this podcast more visible to other people so it would be doing us a real solid so if you could do that that would be magnificent uh, we hope to be back with you within the next couple of weeks, uh, which will be officially the Monkey See Monkey Review podcast's first birthday. Woo! So I'm looking forward to that. And um, we'll be back with some more reviews, etc. But all that remains for me to do, as well as thanking you lovely people for listening once again, is to thank these three handsome gentlemen at uh, the other end of the phone lines from me, because, uh, you know, this wouldn't be the same without getting to spend a couple of hours every couple of weeks talking films to you. Uh, Chris, thank you again for getting this moving. Um, I'm pleasure. indebted to you for that. And uh, Kev, as always, your input is magnificent and always welcome and craig welcome aboard it's you know been wanting to get you on for a while and it's been an absolute pleasure having you as part of the podcast and uh, you know you fit seamlessly in you're an absolute legend oh thank you very much thank you're you. very welcome <laughs> so all that remains for us to do is to say until the next time we see you on the monkey see monkey review podcast is to say goodbye goodbye bye lovelies cheerio bye bye